It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. We're live from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And we're discussing lessons from Remembrance Day. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. <laughs> Perfect. All right, thank you all for being here for this special live episode of Fancy Politics in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We are here on Remembrance Day. We did not realize the intensity of Remembrance Day when we got here. When we first got out of our cabin this morning where we're staying, we saw a woman in a hoop skirt getting in a minivan. And it was very, very exciting. And the day has only been more exciting since then. Okay, so here I need to just make a really personal confession. My secret shame is that when I was in elementary school, I was very obsessed with Gone with the Wind. Like, very obsessed with Gone the Wind. Sarah I mean, doesn't get mildly obsessed. No, I'm either all in or I don't care. Um, and I really cared about Gone with the Wind to the point that if I think if you gave me time, I could still list every single dress Scarlett O'Hara wears in the movie in order. I watched it all the time. I was obsessed with particularly the clothing in Gone with the Wind. So you can imagine how happy I am to be here, to be surrounded 
by hoop skirts and bonnets and the little coats they wear like that fit their hoop skirts we walked into the show today and we walked by the like picture windows and they were at a ball and they had ball hats on and they had little things of champagne i did i, I screamed she did this has been sarah's soundtrack today because there was snow here too oh i love snow so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so before we started seeing all of the costumes it was i love snow i love christmas i love christmas so much i love all the things about christmas i love christmas so she was much. like you're stressing me out stop like, sarah i love christmas too but you're making me not <laughs> and, then, and then we're walking around and it switched from i love christmas i love christmas too i love these costumes i love these dresses so that's been our day oh because i, I was thinking i was gonna have to lie maybe and pass myself off as some sort of member of the media to get into a ball because i peppered the people we ate lunch with with questions about how to get to see the ball gowns and they were like well you're supposed to have tickets so i had a, I had a plan i was ready to do what it took to get in to see the ball. So when we walked by and they were just displayed in this picture window, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I mean, I feel like I'm walking through my childhood dream of being in like Civil War era costumes. All, oh God, it's an, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's been a really fun day, but it's also been a really serious day yes. for us because we spent a lot of time, thank you to Jackie for tickets to the Gettysburg Museum. And so we read all the things. I feel like I've read three novels today because there's so much information in the museum. And we participated in the, what's it called? Cyclorama? Cyclorama. That name does not fit what that experience is. It really, it, it sounds like you're going to yeah, be Yeah, it feels right? like you're going to be like in a spin class. But no, um, the Cyclorama not is like. Um, a, like a movie narrated by Morgan Freeman. Mm -hmm. And then you get to walk around this gigantic oil painting of the Gettysburg battle scenes. Um, to more narration. So it was very informative. I feel like my experience today at the Gettysburg National Park and the museum and everything, it's like every experience I ever have with the Civil War, which is you think you get it and you think you understand, but there's so much to know and there's so much history and perspective and testimonials. I mean, unless you're Shelby Foote. Like, I just don't think any of us have the full capacity and understanding of that period in history. And so every time I go to like a memorial or I read a book, I'm like, oh my God, I just had no idea. It's just, and I think it was such a big event. It's very difficult to put yourself in it and understand. I think that's what Gettysburg is really good at because they can focus on one single event within the war. You get this sort of much better. It's something you can sort of wrap your head around in a small way. Do you want to tell your Shelby Foote story? Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Okay, I tell this at dinner too. <laughs> um, okay, so everybody know the Ken Burns Civil War documentary? And everybody knows Shelby Foote in the documentary. He's, I mean, he's amazing. He's this white beard and this very deep Carolina accent. And he's just an expert. And he talks about Robert E. Lee and he talks about, well, in this battle and Robert E. Lee really just had to like sit with this and he said this and so I watched the Civil War documentary for the first time probably in the early 2000s and I knew that it had been out for a very long time I did not know exactly how long but I knew it had been a very long time <laughs> a certain point in the documentary I looked at my husband after Shelby Foote had done his Shelby Foote thing and said wait was he there like I had not done the math like I was like I know it's I know probably not but he's so convincing. He's so convincing. And you're like, I think he might have been there. And I, and I made the case at dinner that if the documentary was made in like 
the 80s, and he was in his 80s, and maybe been like really young. I don't know. I think mathematically it could possibly have worked out. But I just, he's very convincing is all I'm saying. So we were talking about Remembrance Day and how we love that name. For our listeners who don't know, Remembrance Day is a celebration of President Lincoln's delivery of the Gettysburg Address on November 19, 1863, to dedicate Soldiers National Cemetery. And we were discussing how much we like that name, that Remembrance Mm -hmm. seems so much better and more powerful than Memorial. Yeah, because I think Memorial to me... We talk a lot about stories on the podcast. Like, what stories are we telling about this news event? What stories are we telling about this politician? And, I mean, so much of politics, we were just in the National English Teachers Conference, and we were talking about, you know, we we like to think politics is like issues and legislative bills, but so much of it is emotion, and so much of it is history and story. the stories we tell about all that. And so I like remembrance because memorial feels to me like we're going to tell you a story now. We have created a story after the event of how we're going to memorialize this event. And this is the story we're going to tell you. And remembrance seems so much more like an invitation. We're inviting you to remember with us. And that might mean different things to different people. And there might be some things that we want to focus on remembering that aren't a part of the story everybody tells. Or I, I feel like this it's much more invitational than it is. This is the memorial, and this is how we're going to celebrate. Yeah, the associate pastor at my church, before we take communion every Sunday, will will often talk about this as a time to remember. But she doesn't say remember. She says remember. And she talks about how this is really us putting ourselves back together with a larger body. And I think that that's kind of what today's been like for me, sort of remembering a moment in time and another moment in time, and all these moments together, and starting to see the arc of American history better. And speaking of stories, you know, today for me has really been an opportunity to rethink some of the stories that I've heard and known about the Civil War. The first one being, I've always heard that Lincoln wrote the Gettysburg Address on a train. And today I learned that there are five known copies of the Gettysburg Address in President Lincoln's handwriting all of them consistent with a firm riding surface instead of the bumpy Civil War train that he would have been on getting here, which seems like not a big deal, but it kind of is a big deal, right? When you start to think, I've told myself for so long that this is how it happened. No, this is not how it happened. And I think that that's relevant because one of the themes that Sarah and I have been discussing, um, not really on the podcast, but around it, is that we seem to be at a moment in American history where we're asking ourselves to rethink an awful lot of stories. And that's very hard on people. We're asking people to go to Thanksgiving thinking of Thanksgiving differently, right? We're asking people to think of Columbus Day differently. We're really pushing ourselves to grapple with the entire context of our histories instead of just the stories that we've really enjoyed telling. And the Civil War has a lot of opportunity for that kind of examination, too. I mean, we're definitely asking part of the country, certain parts of the country, to think differently about the Civil War. I mean, that's for sure. The removing of the monuments has been so controversial and emotional in other parts of the country. We were talking with Jackie about the memorials here, and she was like, this is the perfect place for them. This is where memorials should be to Confederates and Unions, where they died not in random spots where we've all decided to remind everybody that this is what, in a very specific story about the Civil War. And I think that's true. I think that there is, it is difficult to 
to rethink the stories. And I, I, and I also think the way we even say that is as if history is one story and we're all going to decide and settle on it. As if 50 years from now, they're at a Remembrance Day in Gettysburg, they're not going to be telling very different stories about the Civil War. History is so, is such a living, breathing thing, even though we build monuments and memorials and museums and we think, no, we've got it written down and this is going to be it. We were talking about how interesting it will be like when museums, because museums are such a, like a very similar experience. They all have a similar layout and there's enclaves and there's text on the wall and there's insets with artifacts and we sort of settled on this this way of doing museums, and I'm kind of excited for like what the next generation of museums will look like. I'm ready for the, like the next Maya Lin to come up and blow up the idea of what a museum should be, the way that Maya Lin did with memorials. And so I think that even it's it's always going to be changing. But that tension, the idea of I want you to rethink the story we're telling, we've told forever. That instability we ask people to exist in when we're saying well, what if the story we told about the Civil War was wrong? Or what if, because here's what happened in my hometown. We took, the city commission took the Confederate flag and we forbid it in the Veterans Day Parade, which would be obvious to a lot of people in a lot of parts of the country. But in Kentucky, that was a conversation we had to have. And we had so many Confederate veterans come to our Sons of Confederate veteran members. They're not veterans. Again, my math, I'm not great on the Shelby footprint, but I have now figured out that there are no more veterans left. Um, and so they would come, and I, I realized listening to them, what they were saying to me was, well, they said a lot of racist things too, but some of the, what they were saying to me was, this is something that I felt very proud about, and now you want me to feel ashamed about it. And I think that happens in a lot of conversations in the country. I think that's what you hear with religious freedom conversations and evangelicals. This is this has brought me a source of pride, and now the con the country is telling me I should feel ashamed of it. And particularly any emotion that involves shame, I think, is problematic. And again, it's, it gives people that sense of instability, and it makes them afraid, and it makes them very angry. And so, I think when we examine re-examine those stories, a lot of what you hear people is, say is. They dress it up, I think, as this, this is the true story. But what they're really saying is this story brought me pride or this, this story we've told for so long made me feel a certain way and it's, it's linked to my identity. And now you're telling me to tell another story. And what does that mean for my identity that I've linked to this story? What does that mean for me? It's kind of what we ask kids to handle with Santa on steroids, right? And that helps me understand why we're in the middle of what feels like a national temper tantrum, mm -hmm. that we really are requiring a reexamination of so many stories, and that's just a hard turn for people to make and, and a turn that they don't really understand why they're making or where it goes. So thinking about the Civil War, we were talking today about the values rep represented in the Civil War and how we have taken this com complex system of values from both the Union and the Confederacy and basically distilled them, if you live in the South like we do, into states' rights on one side and I think in the North in pursuit of freedom for all people. And that's really not the set of stories that we heard today. You know, we heard today that the Civil War was more about the expansion of slavery than its abolition, that the, the real tension that brought the Civil War to a head was what was going to happen in the West. And if the slaveholding system of the South expanded to the West, then all the economic power in the country would likely be concentrated in then-Southerners. 
and that the North felt that that would compromise the, the continued existence of the Union. And that President Lincoln's decision to preserve the Union preceded his decision to free slaves. And that that decision to free slaves was not supported even by people who were not slaveholders and even by people who supported the Civil War in defense of the Union because they were fearful of what would happen when millions of free slaves entered the job market and started competing with them for jobs. How familiar does that sound today when we start to think about immigration? We're living a lot of these same stories over again, which I think is why it's so important to look back at our old stories and examine what we know and what we are missing. Well, and I was thinking, I bristled a little bit when you said we're from the South, even though I do consider myself a Southerner. We live in Kentucky, which was a border state. And I think in different parts of Kentucky, they tell a story that's not reflective of what really happened in the state. I mean, they have a really um, interesting section as you're walking into the museum where they show how many people each state sent to either side. And there were so many states that sent people to both sides, and Kentucky was one of them. It's also so reflective of that people just want, like especially like a state like Kentucky, just like pick a side and go with it. Okay, so we don't want to hear this complex story of the border state that couldn't pick a side or didn't want to pick a side or had different areas of the country picking different sides. I mean, it's complicated. It's complicated within Lincoln's own family. I mean, Mary Todd Lincoln was from Kentucky. Her family was a slave-holding family. And here she is married to Abraham Lincoln. I think even that the say we're going to even the act of saying we're going to tell a story invites people to sort of land on something. It's like it's like we need another word for it. We're going to continue this narrative, but nobody's going to like that, and that's going to get a lot of eye rolls for conservatives. But I mean, I think that that's it's that tension. It's that we're not going to we're not going to have an easy good guy and bad guy. We're not going to have an easy ending. You know, every story in the human race is going to be just one long messy middle, as far as I know. So I mean, I think that that is what's so difficult. But I think again, being in a place like Gettysburg, and when you take a when you've built so much around this one event and you have um, annual events, it's almost like because you redo it every year, you get to hold that tension. You get to look at it over and over again. You don't, it's not just we're going to read about it in the textbook and move on. In places like this, you know, we went to Colonial Williamsburg, and I think they have a similar, um, very interesting way of continuing to reexamine, to continue to talk about it. And we all have to do that. And I think this country hasn't done near enough of that with the Civil War. I mean, 155 years sounds like a long time ago, and it was in many ways. But so much of, of the trauma of the Civil War was never really dealt with in this country. There wasn't really a process of reconciliation that you see in other parts of the world. Not that those are always successful either. But, I mean, I see, I think so often, especially with race relations with this country, you see the lack, you see where we stop talking to one another, where we stopped prioritizing, where we stopped talking about what's important to us and what are our values, what is what's happened up until this point mean to our values, and how are we going to move forward from there? So that has gotten us thinking about, in the midst of this national Santa isn't real moment that we're kind of having, what are some guiding values? What are some things that are really important to us? And one of the things that we started thinking about first and foremost is that history and knowing our country really matters and that you can't know our country through the internet as much as we'd like to think so. I have a second grader. She spends an unfathomable amount of her day at school on a screen as a way for her to know more of the world. 
And Sarah and I have the privilege of traveling around the country now. I'm just fearful that she's going to believe that that's the way you experience the world. And I'm delighted for her to gain knowledge. Um, but I think you gain wisdom from actually being in a place. I mean, that's what I was struck by. We've been, I've been to five states this week, Kentucky, Tennessee, Texas, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. And going from Texas, going from Houston, Texas to Pennsylvania, you're just like, oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> it's, it's so big. It's a, such a big country. It's so diverse. Even the land, the landscapes are so diverse. I mean, you don't get much different from going from like a bunch of English teachers in Houston in 70 degrees all the way up here to Gettysburg with Civil War reenactors. I mean, it's a very different experience. But I read about Pennsylvania and Texas every day. I've been reading about Texas's Senate race. I've been reading about Pennsylvania and how it's going to play into the 2020 election. And I, I just, I put every state through the filter of how I think it plays into national politics and what I'm reading on the news that day. And I forget that there are whole communities and people and experiences and climate changes and like all these different things that you just have to go and stand in a space and be like, I mean, there's just so much happening that gets lost. And when we think that reading the news or thinking about the politics of this country is somehow the entire experience of this country, it's, but it's so easy to do because look, I'm looking at pictures of Texas. I'm looking at lots of pictures of Beto all over Texas. Surely I get it. And I think it's, it's always such a good reminder to me to, to physically be in a different place, physically be around a different architecture and the people to remind myself that like, no, that's not the whole story. There's a really great um, podcast called On Being with Krista Tibbet. And somebody was asking her, like, how do you deal with the news? How do you deal with the negativity of the news? Which is a question we get asked a lot. And she said this beautiful thing, which is basically, I just remind myself that that's not the whole story, that there's this, these entire other movements happening that don't, they don't check the boxes to make it into a headline, but they are happening and things are changing and people are doing good work. And when we focus on just what's making the headlines and getting into the news or just what we're reading and experiencing through the internet, we miss all that. And we were just talking at dinner about how so many people think California equals Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You know, and as we're discussing the wildfires in California, no understanding of what the rest of that state is like, what the culture is like, what the place is like that is burning right now in front of our eyes. People think that New York is only New York City, right? There are lots of areas of New York that resemble parts of Kentucky. We have so much more in common than we recognize, but we just don't know it. Because we think that the way we take in information gives us all the information. Mm -hmm. And so helping our kids understand and helping each other and other adults, I think, understand um, a, a way to appreciate our country again, instead of looking at it as a red versus blue map, um, I think is more travel and more time spent in actual communities. Because I, it's so easy to think that I get it. And I think that's what people do with California. It's almost like when you read about a state, and particularly when the only filter through which you think about states is politics, it's dehumanizing in a way. It turns the state into a character, and it's a character you don't like. That's what people do to California. People say hateful things about California. They say hateful things about Kentucky, too. Um, we all do that with states. It's like that's the filter through which we, we see that state, and you forget that that... They're Americans. They have. They want the best for their kids. They're doing the best they can. That everything is cannot be summed up, you know, through even the most horrendous political story. You know, I would if I lived in Alabama, I wouldn't want everything that people know about me to be 
thought through the lens of the Roy Moore Senate race, that would be awful. I don't want people thinking about me through the filter of Matt Bevin. That's our governor. Or Mitch McConnell. Or Mitch McConnell. Please, God, no. Forget I said his name. No, we don't like Mitch McConnell. I don't want people thinking about Mitch McConnell when I tell them I'm from Kentucky. Um, but they definitely do. And I think that that's, it's, it gives us that opportunity to dehumanize and to, to turn people into a caricature. And that's, that's, that's no good. That's not a road we want to go down. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So another thing that we were thinking about today is the importance of truth-seeking and fairness, especially as we start to have this national conversation about voting and about making sure that people have confidence in their voting 
um, and we have confidence in our processes and the way we count votes. And I really think, you know, I'm a registered Republican. I like to tell people I'm more of like a 2014 Republican than a 2018 Republican. And I would really love for us to find our way back in that direction, forward in a new direction that has some of those attributes. Um, tell them about the t-shirt you want to make. We're going to do this too. Yeah, I really want a shirt that says, I'm the suburban woman problem. <laughs> I might mail one to Lindsey Graham when we make them just to say like, I have a shirt. That's how committed I am to being your suburban woman problem. But um, think about our elections. That seems to me to be such a bipartisan issue. How important is it for all of us in our country to feel like we are allowing our fellow citizens to vote and thinking about voting as a right instead of as a privilege? I'm troubled by this language that voting is a privilege that gets doled out by whatever party is in power. I think we have a real problem here that we need to examine. And that's why I really appreciate what Stacey Abrams has brought to light um, in the midst of this very difficult and traumatic race. While we were in Houston, we presented um, to English teachers with an English teacher from Georgia who's in an eighth grade classroom with inner city students and students who by everything in my life that I take for granted, these students don't have. And she talked about what a trauma this election has been on her eighth grade students. And we can do better than that. Did y'all see her speech? Whew, it's what we call in the, the Christian community a real like Jesus flipping the tables kind of moment. Like she went in there and I mean, I'm, I'm prone to righteous anger. I really appreciate it on a deep cellular level. And she was, and rightfully so, is righteously angry at what went down in Georgia What's so problematic about the whole thing is that it's, it, we've like turned this corner where now voter suppression is a campaign strategy and counting the vote in any sort of systematic way is just giving into voter fraud. We're just full into this narrative of voter fraud is a huge problem. And so we're in and suppressing the vote from or, from groups you don't want to turn out is a perfectly acceptable campaign strategy. And it's so disturbing. And I thought that her anger and her just righteous frustration with the entire way this went down. She has this really great moment where she says the title of governor is less important than the title of voter. And she's like basically like I'm not going to do this. And she also very famously has not, she did, she said, like, I'm not going to concede because I don't think this was a fair election, but I, I will accept that he's going to be certified as governor. But of course, that's the only thing the media is talking about. I want to read some of her comments in context because I do feel like when I was doing research today, I kept seeing story after story that was just Stacey Abrams won't concede, but it's over. And I thought that really was an injustice to what she said. She said, I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial election, but to watch an elected official who claims to represent the people in this state baldly pin his hopes for election on the suppression of the people's democratic right to vote has been truly appalling. So let's be clear, this is not a speech of concession, because concession means to acknowledge an action is right, true, or proper. As a woman of conscience and faith, I cannot concede that. But my assessment is the law currently allows no further viable remedy. 
They can complain that I should not use this moment to recap what was done wrong or to demand a remedy. You see, as a leader, I should be stoic in my outrage and silent in my rebuke. But stoicism is a luxury, and silence is a weapon for those who would quiet the voices of the people. And I will not concede because the erosion of our democracy is not right. Oh, so good. Um, That's worth printing. Yeah, the whole thing. Come the on. whole thing. And I told Beth as we watched it, I'm so angry. I don't want to watch the most qualified woman stand up and say, they a little bit cheated, but there's nothing I can do. I'm so tired of watching that. But I have to say that being here in Gettysburg today was like a really good place for me to have that moment because I got real upset as I'm getting right now. And then I thought, stop. First of all, I'd walked through the Gettysburg Memorial and sort of gone through the days of like the Confederacy goes in and then the, they have to pull out and then they pull in and they pull out and then the, the Union holds and the Union wins. And it's a very sort of drawn out battle and walking and I was in my head thinking like, this is how it goes. And it's not like, I think the real poetic truth of Gettysburg too is that even though you do have a victor who, who doesn't advance and wipe everybody out but holds the ground, and it was a turning point in the war, it didn't end the war, it went on for months and months after that. And so I think that that, like having that in my head and seeing Stacey Abrams, I got really upset and was like, you know, burned to the ground, it's never gonna, it's never gonna be fair, I'm so mad. And then I thought, but wait, no, that's not true because this is how it always is. A town that revolves around an act in the Civil War and I'm watching a black woman who ran for the governor of Georgia. And she did really well. And yes, it's not the outcome I would want, but I'm never going to get to a point, and we're never going to get to a point in the country where it's going to be like, we figured it out, guys. We're good. Justice is on the march, and we're done here. You know, and I want that. I want that. I want there to be just like everybody else, just like every other human being. I want a nice, easy story with a villain and a hero and a happy ending. And every time we get in a spot like this, Beth is very good at stirring me back to me like, no, we're just going to talk about our values and our priorities, and we're going to just aim the ship in the right direction. Sometimes we're going to veer this way, and sometimes we're going to veer that way, but we have to keep aiming in the right direction because that's the best we can do. And it's hard, and it's really, really hard. And I think the, the service of community and having these conversations and what is always so encouraging to me in a moment where I'm so mad at what happened in that race is looking at the people who are standing on either side of me and who are also frustrated and mad and upset but willing to keep walking forward in that direction and who hold the same values as I do and care deeply about how people in this country are treated, care deeply that, that voting is a right, not a privilege. And that's, that's the encouragement that I take from it. I think that that is a really powerful human motivator is to just see who's in the fight with me. And they talk about that even in the memorial. They talk about so often what kept these men going is just looking and saying, who's next to me? They're fighting. I'm going to fight. I'm not going to leave them by themselves. Another thing that occurred to me today, especially as we talk about our elections, that is an issue of priority for me. I think that is an incredibly important issue going forward, that we all have confidence in this process. There is something so grounding about seeing chains that shackled human slaves. 
and enslaved people, you know, remembering that they are people first and that we put these shackles on them. And as I was walking around reading their just quote after quote after quote from Confederate soldiers, Union soldiers, observers on both sides of the war, I thought, you know, this language is muted compared to what is scrolling through my Twitter feed every day right now. This language about what truly was a great human struggle and a moment, an existential moment in the United States seems quite mild compared to the way that we talk about every single issue today. And that is not to minimize any of the issues that we face as a country. Healthcare is important. You know, economic development is important. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's jacket is not. Is not important. And that's like same level. And tax policy and healthcare policy and lots of other things, while they are very, very important, are not civil war level important. And there's a point at which I think we have to find a way to just sit across the table and discuss with one another issues that are not existential issues, recognizing that they are important. And sometimes they are life and death issues for some people. They are problems that can be solved. There are solutions available that don't require battle. For almost every problem we face in our country, there are solutions available. And I think that just prioritizing where we're going to really use that kind of rhetoric and where we're not would go a long way to helping us right now too. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today. 
with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. And look, that is a very difficult thing, particularly to do on the progressive side of the aisle. It is a very big tent with lots of people, with lots of different experiences, and lots of different priorities. And I love it. It is my tent. I like particularly that it is such a big tent with so many different people. But there is a very, especially in like progressive Twitter land, which is just the seventh ring of hell in my personal opinion, um, where it's, there's just like a very much like eat your young. If you don't check every box... Like, if you're not checking, if you say something out of line or you don't use the right term, like, you're done. I re- I think I realized the moment that this, this hyper-emotional, like, reaction to everything had really jumped the shark was when that poor cat from the 70s show, what's his name, to- Topher Grace? Yeah. Topher Gray? Yeah. I don't know his name. Remember him? He was on the 70s show. And then he came out and he was like, <laughs> he'd gone on, like, a blind date with Ivanka in, like, 2003 and he you could tell he was terrified to talk about it he was like oh yeah we went on one day it was nothing political and it was fine it didn't have it didn't work out and that was it I mean but you could tell like he was so truly scared to in any way shape or form like be in a twitter moment with Ivanka like I was like this is gone too far like, that's outrageous. Like, he shouldn't be terrified that he went on a date with Ivanka in 2003. Clearly, it didn't work out. They're married to different people, and they have babies and stuff. So, like, I see him up there at the White House. So, clear, it's, you're cool, dude. Like, you don't need to be scared about talking about the fact that you went on a blind date with Ivanka. But if you say, you know, if you're a celebrity and you imply for a mere moment that Trump is not the Antichrist, then forget it. Twitter's going to eat you alive. Like, even my own husband the other day, I was talking about Oprah, and he was like, remember when Oprah said give him a, give Trump a chance? And I was like, yeah, I do. It was fine. She's Oprah. That she, was a good idea. That was a great idea. It was okay. That's fine. We don't get to, like, we're not going to, every good work Oprah has done, including raising me, like, <laughs> over the last 20 years, it's not going to get revoked because she implied that maybe we should give Trump a chance. Like, but, man, like, anything like that, then forget it. You're done. And it's not like it all comes from the progressive left. I mean, there's definitely that sort of level of emotional inability to prioritize on both sides. You and can definitely check my email if you'd like to see the conservative version of that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, but that's, you know, there is, there's no ability to say, okay, but what, what's really important? What are we focused on? 
What's, what's our values as Americans? What do we share with one another? Because I do think that there are some people in this country that don't think we share anything. I think there are people in this country who don't think they share anything with someone who lives in Louisiana or somebody who lives in Berkeley. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. Yeah, and whenever we talk about values, you know, one thing I want to be clear about is that we think these values have to transcend politics. Again, it's not that politics is unimportant. It's that it is one component of everything else. And that doesn't mean that you leave it behind. We were talking about putting politics in its place with the English teachers that we uh, met with in Houston. And one teacher raised her hand, and she um, supervises the Gay-Straight Alliance at her school. And she has a number of transgender students that she works with. And she said, for these kids, everything is political. How do I tell them to put politics in its place? And she said, how do I tell them to put politics aside? And we said, it's not that you put it aside. It's that you hold it next to lots of other things. And you recognize that sometimes those other things are very important to getting politics that makes sense, to getting to a way of living in community with each other that is kinder and that is better for all people, that does promote more liberty and justice and equality. But that takes a lot of storytelling. Often it takes a lot of human connection that doesn't occur in the political sphere. And I think that what's happening in our political discourse is that we're eliminating opportunities to commune with each other in other spheres. I think that's absolutely true. The, the, the fear that we feel when sharing a space with someone who disagrees with us, and that is real because it's Thanksgiving. Everybody has so much anxiety about that, about, oh, well, this is a space in which I cannot avoid being around people whose political opinions make me uncomfortable. Oh, my God, what do I do? And, I mean, I think the answer is there's not a right, there's definitely a wrong way to do that, that's for sure. But there's not necessarily one right way to do it. The way to do it is to do it. The way to do it is to just start doing it. The reason we can do this is because we do it several hours every week. We process the news. We think about the ways, what we share, what we don't. And it's just the practice of doing that that makes it so much easier. Every time you do it and then the sun comes up again, every time you do it, somebody sends you a mean email and disagrees with you and tells you you're a horrible or whatever, fill in the blank, and you, you go on living. Um, it's just another experience to be like, okay, well, not everybody's going to like it, but some people will, and it will connect with some people, and I'll keep doing it, and I'll keep practicing, and I'll screw up, and I'll get up and do it again. Yeah, and the purpose isn't for everybody to like it, right? The purpose is just to say, this is what I'm thinking about. What are you thinking about? And I I think that kind of invitation is missing in a lot of our political dialogue right now, too, and a lot of journalism. You know, I, w- I wish journalism would be less sermon and more invitation, mm-hmm. and I hope that we can get to that. So the final value that we were thinking about uh, leaving the Gettysburg Memorial today and as we continue to see women in beautiful hoop skirts was the importance of staying engaged and participating in this big, messy process that is so ugly right now. And that led me back to the text of the Gettysburg Address. And so I said, Jackie, are y'all tired of the Gettysburg Address here in Gettysburg? She's like, no, I love that speech. So just to remind all of us. You can't get tired of it. That's right. Just to remind all of us what President Lincoln actually said. As I read it today, I was like, holy cow, relevant. (laughs) Beyond the four score in seven years. Very, very relevant. So we're going to wrap up by reading the Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, 
conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It's altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate. We cannot consecrate. We cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which those who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pants Good Politics. Y'all y'all were good for Yankees. (laughs) Dylan Garvin produces Pantsu Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.